0: following podcast was recorded in the Spiritual Centre, which sits on the traditional, unceded territory of the Chianu First Nation. Welcome to the Pearson Broadcast again. Um, I'm Brian Gary, Director of Communications at Pearson, and I'm really happy to be back here with another Pearson podcast. And today, I'm particularly pleased that we were able to talk to Allie McFarland. Allie um, is a house-parent at Kulak House, and he, uh, she has many, many other roles, obviously, and among them, she's a twice-published novelist. So today we're going to learn a little bit more about um, Ali's second novel, Pretty Delicate, and touch upon life on campus as a, as a house parent. Just for listeners as well, I want to let you know that um, we're going to be talking about eating disorders in the context of this novel. That could be upsetting to some, so if you're listening in British Columbia or elsewhere in the world, a place to learn more about um, this type of mental illness is HealthLinkBC.ca. HealthLinkBC, all one word.ca. In many parts of the world, you can also access similar online resources that can help explain and direct you towards supportive resources in your respective areas as well. So after all that, Allie, welcome. Thank you for taking the time to join us on our podcast series. Um, We had a couple of postponements, but uh, here we are, so that's good. Um, First thing first, congratulations on the publication of the novel, pretty delicate. Um, Tell us a little bit about the book and tell us about what brought it on. Yeah,
1: awesome. Thank you. Happy to be here. So, Pretty Delicate comes out of my master's thesis that I wrote at the University of Saskatchewan and it was uh, Shirk-funded research. So this is a novel told in four parts and it follows Kate who is a young woman but um, in her early adult life and she develops an eating disorder. So part one is the like onset of this mm-hmm. disorder. And then part two is a poetic interlude that's told by her sister um, just about how she has been impacted by her sister's eating disorder Mm -hmm. and struggles. And then part three is in the hospital. uh, But it's the people who come to visit Kate. It's not Kate's experience in Mm -hmm. the hospital.
0: It's not about the clinical experience itself. It's about what others are experiencing in that context, eh?
1: Yeah, the Mm -hmm. relationships Mm -hmm. and the community between Mm -hmm. the characters. And then part four is about half of the book, uh, so it's a pretty long part, and it's the recovery, and right. so it's the like long struggles, so it made sense that that was going to be the longest part of the book, mm-hmm. as recovery is the like, focus, um, and as well as those relationships is what I was really more focused on rather than the like, clinical aspect right of it.
0: Yeah, that, that came across, I think, very clearly as well. Um, um, what inspired you to write the book?
1: Yeah, so my inspiration for this and like whole reason for pursuing Mm -hmm. the (laughs) master's that I did uh, was actually my best friend and I've talked to her about this before and she is okay with me sharing.
0: Good, right.
1: Uh, But she almost died from an eating disorder Mm -hmm. uh, several years ago now and then she was hospitalized and went through recovery and she's been... Uh, like on her recovery journey for over five years now, and she's doing quite well, but at that time it's really hard when someone you love is going through this really? and you being a writer and a reader I Looked at books, you know, I go out and I was like I want some help um, yeah. How do I talk to my friend about this or how do I show up for her and I? Couldn't find what I needed when I was looking, so I decided I had to write what Mm -hmm. I was looking for, Um, and yeah, I shared it with her for the whole process, and that was just really, really great for me that she was so supportive the whole way Mm -hmm. along, and it was just like we were there supporting each other with this um, kind of project helping in a way.
0: I'm sure there's no end of books that are treat eating disorders in a clinical fashion, but I, I haven't seen many which deal with it in, uh, in a fiction uh, context, I guess. So that might have been, for you as a writer, a bit of an exciting challenge as well.
1: Yeah, there's been some books, uh, obviously, mostly from 1950s onwards, mm-hmm. uh, but a lot of them were written, even though if they were fiction, it was from male physicians or male therapists who were writing about like underage teenage girls' experience with eating disorders. And, and, and they
0: know that so well, don't they? Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, obviously yeah. it rang very true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so it wasn't quite there. And then another one that, uh, so more prevalent is actually like eating disorder memoirs mm-hmm. that are written by um, survivors of it, mm-hmm. of this disorder and so some of those ones are what you'd call like auto fiction or um, it's where they've kind, of it's kind of a memoir and then certain aspects are kind of fictionalized. Mm-hmm. So like, for example, maybe it's based completely on their story, but then they also go into like the headspace of a different character, right. which you can't really do in real life. <laughs> so, um, so, so certain books like that, which I found was very helpful for getting, different perspectives on the situations Um, but a lot of the times those projects aren't by trained writers and so there is a difference in how narrative is constructed Um, and so not to disparage that at all because they're just just different different projects yeah
0: is the novel pretty delicate and aimed at a specific audience like a young adult audience a broad audience or or, or, or do you as a writer care about that? Is that important?
1: Yeah, I, audience is actually very important. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it provides focus uh, for who you're writing for. And so, like I said, first I was writing for myself and my friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and then more broadly, um, writing for this younger, like new adult kind of space between the younger millennials and the older Gen Z who just it's like a weird kind of demographic where there's like a prolonged teenagerhood. Mm -hmm. And so even though eating disorders like traditionally have really impacted um, non-adults, like uh, children, preteens, teens, teens, it's like coming to be more in the like younger adults um, because there's like this weird shift in the way like, our western society is going where everyone like is now expected to continue on to more schooling after high school Mm -hmm. age a lot of people have to live with their parents longer and so it's just kind of shifted uh like the whole social dynamics and so my book kind of it features characters in that like niche and so i really was writing it for the young people uh today who just like don't see themselves often represented in the traditional like yeah. forms because it's a new emerging group so you need new art
0: for yeah. that. And, and, and it kind of struck me, it, it reflected also the economic reality of young people as well, sort of moving from maybe shared apartments to back home, things like that. Yeah, and it's, yeah. It, is, it is of its time and it speaks to it right now. <laughs> yeah. um, Eat, and eating disorder, disordered eating, and I know that sort of encompasses a range of things, which people may know the the word under the words under anorexia, anorexia nervosa, bulimia, binge eating, things like that. Um, it's but it's very broad. It's a bit intimidating. But you centered the story, as you said, around an individual with with the disorder, from largely from her perspective, from the perspective of of her friends as well, not from a clinical perspective. So. You talked a little bit about that approach, but maybe, maybe you can elaborate on that a little, a little more.
1: Yeah, uh, well, I think that approach was integral into the work that I was doing. Mm-hmm. And if you set out to write a book about eating disorders as a topic broadly, that's really abstract. It's really hard to latch onto. And it is such an amorphous uh, disorder that people still don't know a lot about. They've got certain categories, like anorexia looks mm-hmm. like this, bulimia looks like mm-hmm. this, but then there's also, most people are getting classified as like non specified eating disorder. So there's like a lot of weird things that people don't know, and you can say that it's a disorder, but it doesn't track with other th- known elements, and so that's really difficult. And if you're writing about that, like how do you do that mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, how do you have a compelling narrative about that uh, without also being completely overwhelming and so you, I thought to focus it on one character it really um, makes certain aspects of the disorders uh, more concrete and so that way it's can be related to as a person who is suffering from this, uh, but it's also understood to be not fully encompassing. It does not, every disorder looks like this, right. or every person experiences it this way. And so I think that can also like, help and just like, shed light that it does like, present differently for different people.
0: In your novel, you write from different perspectives, including from the, the perspective of the disorder the mental illness itself. You know, so, I like that technique because I knew exactly <laughs> what it was, and I, yeah, and I appreciate you used a visual technique in the written book as well, using italics to be the voice of Anna. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about what, what Anna is?
1: Yeah, um, actually, the use of like Anna as the voice comes out of my research into the like clinical treatments. So most, a lot of therapists um, will do have their patients name their disorder and most of Mm -hmm. them are named Ed Uh, a lot of this comes out of um, Jenny Schaefer's work she's suffered from an eating disorder and Mm -hmm. put out a uh, book that she wrote with her therapist about their training and when I contacted doctors they said that this is a resource that's recommended to like everyone suffering Um, it has helpful like workbook like notes and stuff in it from the therapist for how to help Hmm. yourself Mm -hmm. um but a key technique was naming the disorder ED, as short for eating disorder, right. <laughs> as you might imagine, um, and so that allows you to separate yourself from the disorder. So
0: it doesn't define you. Yeah, it doesn't yeah, define you, define you Ed.
1: and you mm. can talk back to it. You can yeah. say that's not what I want, and it's a becomes like an entity of its own that you can then have, exert your own power over instead of being controlled by, and. It's also important that they use eating disorder because that encompasses all of the like various elements uh, right. and symptoms that can present. So in my book, I chose Anna, which is not typical, but that was done in part because if someone reads my book and is suffering and has named theirs Ed, I did not want them to be constantly like having that right. in their face. Right. Uh, so, I want to create a little bit more distance um, just to be a little bit aware of mm-hmm. how that could come across for someone else.
0: Respectful of the reader and, in that sense, yes. Yeah.
1: yeah, and so then I also address uh, some of the elements that I just talked about of how, like, Anna wouldn't encompass like the binge eating elements. So, if someone were to name their disorder Anna instead, they might be able to convince themselves that doing other techniques would be uh, not part of their disorder Mm -hmm. so I addressed that by introducing the like dragon Mia as like another part of the disorder and to show that it can present in multiple ways and then also just narratively I thought it was important that this disordered voice be feminized because like diet culture is in the world all around us and it's you know, largely contributed to by mass corporations, but on an individual level, it is held up a lot, by woman to woman, mm-hmm. um, and I think that is very interesting and also like really harmful, and so I thought it was just really important to kind of highlight that by using the like feminized mm-hmm. uh, name.
0: It sounds like you've done a ton of research in terms of uh, the clinical aspect of of the disease. What did you learn in that? And and sorry, you could probably talk for an hour on that. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Maybe not.
1: (laughs) I'll try to keep it
0: shorter. Thank you.
1: (laughs) So basically, at least in Western Canada, where I focused a lot of my research, and it's very different province to province here because of our healthcare system. So I was doing mostly my research focused in Alberta, but a little bit BC, Saskatchewan as well. Mm -hmm. And there's lots of different tiers of services available and it's like it ranges from just like some weekly group meetings with people who are like trying to work on it themselves to uh, you can have day programs where you actually go for full days and learn how to like eat your meals with other people who are going through this. And you can be hospitalized um, for periods of two weeks to several months mm-hmm. um, for however long it takes to help you get back on track and then if you are hospitalized, that's usually in conjunction Uh, when you come out, there's a plan for like certain day programs and different forms of treatment. And so that's great that those exist. They all require a doctor's note to get Mm -hmm. to, uh, which can be very difficult with people like not having family doctors now and who's going to go sit in a like walk-in clinic waiting room for 10 hours and talk to a stranger doctor that they've never seen before.
0: For 10 minutes. For 10 minutes to try to get
1: this note. And then when you do finally get the note, you go on a waiting list because these services are, there's not enough for the people who need them. So you can go on a waiting list for months and months and then all of a sudden your disorder gets worse because you're not getting help even if you want the help. And then you end up being hospitalized when maybe you could have actually had that earlier intervention Mm -hmm. and you actually reached out for it and you actually waited and tried and they just couldn't get to you fast enough and so that's just really upsetting (laughs) and uh, yeah i think so that's why i didn't really want to get into that whole process that much in my book because i think that would take the focus away from what i was trying to do and that is just To help build like community awareness because Mm -hmm. while the medical system fails us it isn't enough for everyone who needs it i think that that's where like we as humans and people can help step in and just offer our own support um even though we're not trained medical professionals just like being there for someone and not letting them push you away can often like help quite a bit
0: well community-based support exactly Yeah. yeah and understanding and i guess Part of the inspiration, perhaps was to what perhaps in writing this novel was to help improve that understanding mm-hmm. amongst the community you had a book lodge here on campus, so that yeah. sounded like fun unfortunately i couldn 't i couldn 't make it to that so what kind of feedback did you get? Uh, you also invited students to, re- to uh, um, read some of their own work and that sort of thing. Was that a, was that a good event?
1: Yeah, we had a lot of fun. Uh, we did it over in Student Commons. Mm-hmm. And it was great. Um, I felt very honored that the students shared their own creative work with me in the same space. And then I read from my book. I read a little chapter from each of the four parts mm-hmm. to kind of give them an overview of how it goes and even though it's not the most lighthearted of subject material the students were all really supportive and also engaged and after the readings they had a question and answer period and they got they had some really like thought-provoking uh questions just
0: yeah, as students at person usually do eh? yeah
1: <laughs> very <laughs> insightful and so that was a lot of fun actually to start thinking about, yeah, about yeah. it yeah.
0: well uh, you know just as a side comment i i mean there's a lot of humor in the book, you know, and there, there are passages where I, I was reading and I recognized and I thought, yeah, I understand that, I know I've been there, I know, I get that. And it was just, it was humorous because you could very, very clearly see and picture the situation that you described. But anyway, that aside, um, let's stay on campus for a second, you know. a um, house parents, house parents are often the first person that a student might approach when they're having an issue and whether it's a mental health issue whether it's an issue with an eating disorder sometimes you know you're the people who get get approached first obviously don't want you to betray any confidences or anything but on that but have you had some experiences like that in your role as a house parent
1: yeah I think well we get some training at the beginning of the years right. uh, which is great for just having more um, how do we help students in particular to get through times of um, crisis or just mm-hmm. low mental health times and so that's very helpful but I think the biggest thing that we've been uh, doing in our house is we do a lot of relationship building and mm-hmm. uh, we did that a lot at the beginning of the year and uh, so we have each room in, we do tea with them and uh, get to know the students on a like one-to-one kind of level and then we also do big group outings as a house, we've done house skating, we go kayaking, we like to get the students outside and moving so that there's just, you know, exercise, fresh air, that's really good for you.
0: And it all bolsters bolsters mental health.
1: Exactly. Um, So we like to lay lots of the foundations for that. uh, And in doing so, we also get to know the students more. And then that really helps because when something bad is happening mm-hmm. if you already have that relationship they come to you sooner mm-hmm. and so you're able to intervene sooner and get them the help and support that they need and that is just really really important
0: well it, again though but it's community based support
1: yeah exactly. know, and
0: and it's establishing those relationships early on and and more importantly those that trust level early on mm-hmm. so, and I know just, just as a reminder, anyone listening, house parents, of course, are um, the individuals and couples who are the adults in the resident student residence houses, and they're uh, and they're pretty much on call 24/7, I'd say, and it's it's a it's an exacting job, and it's uh, something that I think anyone who has uh, either worked or been a student at Pearson really really appreciates it. You know, so thank you for for taking on that role. We're we're just about to wrap up our time together, but I wanted to just touch upon your uh, writing career and bring it back to your writing career. So you've published one other book. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, my first novel, Disappearing in Reverse, uh, came out in fall of 2020. So, you know, bad time for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Not a good time for But a great everyone. time
0: for to stay home and read.
1: Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so that uh, was published by the University of Calgary Press mm-hmm. as part of their Brave and Brilliant series. Um, and so that is just a fun-ish kind of road trip novel with an unnamed protagonist goes around stealing identities while she's looking for her dead cousin. So, (laughs) There's
0: a lot of interesting elements in there.
1: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Uh, very much deals with lots of relationships. Uh, Again, that's a common thread in all my writing.
0: Are you thinking that there's, there's another writing project or have you got one bubbling away inside somewhere and you... I know it might be bad luck and some Aussies don't like to talk about it you know, because it might jinx it, but you know, you got something back there in mind?
1: Uh, yeah, I've got several. Okay. It's just <laughs> to focus on one and finish one at a time.
0: Fair, fair enough. Uh, if people are interested in, in following up on this and reading Pretty Delicate, uh, where would they be able to get their hands on it?
1: Uh, Yeah, Um, so they could go to the publisher's website, uh, which is Ace of Swords, Mm -hmm. Um, or if you want more generally, you could just go to my own website, which is AllieMcFarland.ca. Very easy. easy. Very easy. Um, I've got links there where you could um, order both of my books, as well as you can read full excerpts of a lot of my published shorter works Mm -hmm. um, that have appeared in magazines uh, across North America. So if you want to like read a little snippet of something else first and both of my uh, novels I published excerpts of previously so those excerpts are available on my website right. um as well as if buying books is not in your budget right now just libraries they're great yeah <laughs> I agree <laughs> and if they don't have a book you can just ask them for a book and then they get you the book it's great. It's amazing. <laughs> I know.
0: It's like a magic system. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> so I highly recommend libraries.
0: Well, whether you go to your local library, you know, if, if you want to get a copy of the book, available in electronic or, or um, physical copies, uh, we'll post a couple of links as well with this interview uh, as to where people can, can get this.
1: And local bookstores will also order it in. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So Support it. local bookstores, by the way. Yeah. Editorial comment. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, Ali, I really enjoyed this. It, it was a, it was a real pleasure talking to you, and it was it was a lot of fun to talk about something which is maybe a little bit outside, you know, the normal <laughs> parameters of our discussions, to to uh, put it that way. So thanks very much, and continue good luck in your uh, publishing career.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Brian.
0: Uh, anytime. <laughs> If you would like to learn more about what we do at Pearson, visit our website at www.pearsoncollege.ca. You can also subscribe to Pearson E! News and keep an eye on our social media pages for the latest
1: updates.